This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, Abraham knows God does not change his mind. Abraham's thinking like this. He's thinking, I'm sure that God told me that through Isaac, I'm gonna have a multitude of people. I heard him say that several times. I'm sure that God does not change his mind. I'm sure that God told me to kill Isaac as a burnt offering. So I'm sure, and I'm sure that God is also the author of life and that he has the power to bring back from the dead life. He has the power to bring the dead back to life. Therefore, God can bring Isaac back to to life from the dead. And that's how he's able to reconcile this. And this is what he's actually thinking. And we know this because it says in Hebrews 11, 17, Hebrews 11, 17, where it's talking about what Abraham was thinking, Hebrews 11, 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Okay, so Abraham is really dwelling on God's promise. He's walking along, he's thinking, God said in Isaac shall thy seed be called, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, as he's on his way to offer Isaac. So the only conclusion that Abraham could reach is, Okay, he's gonna raise him from the dead. Okay, this is, God can do it. That's what he's gonna do. And now we're told some very important details about Abraham. We see in verse three there, Abraham rose up early in the morning. He got up really early. That's a very important detail. There's a lot of really important details in this passage here, and this is one of them here because it sets a scene. Now, probably God told him this at night, the night before. So this is the next morning that Abraham, and the soonest that he could move, he's on the move. He's up. But the fact that Abraham got up early in the morning is important because it shows that with Abraham, he was not going to engage in five Five words that all start with a D. First, Abraham was not going to doubt if he should if he should sacrifice his son. He wasn't going to doubt. Second, 
He, Abraham was not gonna delay in obeying God in sacrificing his son. And then third, Abraham was not gonna discuss this with anyone, which he didn't. So therefore, Abraham was not gonna debate about sacrificing his son. You think you should really do that? He wasn't gonna get into that. And Abraham was not gonna be in a position where he had to defend to someone why he should sacrifice his son, especially his wife might have something to say about that. But because if Abraham had done that, if Abraham had done that in any way, then Abraham's heart might have become hardened to the whole idea of sacrificing his son. And he wasn't gonna go there. So it came down to obeying God or not obeying God to sacrifice his son. And he didn't want, Abraham did not want to see his shadow. He did not want to turn his back on God and see his shadow. And what's amazing to see in all of this history here is how Abraham just opened himself completely to God and he was all alone and he didn't talk to anybody, nobody at all. I mean, this is just like the Apostle Paul, where it says, where Paul says that in Galatians 1.15, Galatians 1.15, where Paul says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, which was outlandish, that this Jewish person should go and, and preach to the Gentiles was just like unheard of. So he said that, that he might preach among the heathen. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Uh, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus, and then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So Paul knew that God had called him to do something that had never been done before, go preach the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles. And Paul knew that this is not accepted, this was not accepted among the Jewish believers at that time. So Paul decides, I'm not gonna discuss this with anyone. I'm just gonna go, I'm not gonna confer with flesh and blood. So he just left Jerusalem and he went into Arabia, where for sure there weren't any Jewish people, very few, who knows. But anyway, and then he was there in Damascus for three years, and during that time, Paul was alone with God. Three years, Paul was alone with God. And as soon as God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was sacrificed. That's how he looked at it. And that, that was the, how it's presented in Hebrews 11, 7, 17, which we just saw. Hebrews eleven seventeen, when it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Well, he didn't actually offer him up, but in his mind, he offered him up. He was done, he was sacrificed. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. And now, why is it saying that way, that he did it? Because it's same as true of the Lord Jesus Christ, where it says in Revelation 13.8, Revelation 13.8, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, uh, uh, life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, in the same way, it's saying that the Lord Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, and that, but wait a minute, the world wasn't even made, and it was going to be at least 4,000 years later before he was actually slain. No, but it's speaking of he was slain from the foundation of the world because the decision was made, and that's the same with Abraham. The next detail we get is in verse 3, where after it says he rose up early, saddled his ass, he took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son. Then something very, very interesting here. It says that Abraham himself clave the wood for the burnt offering. Well, that's what we're told there. He claved the wood. Now you ask the question, well, why? Wasn't there wood on Mount Moriah? 
Why, why couldn't he go and find, just bring an ax, and then when you get there, go find the wood there and chop it up there. Why do you want to haul the wood with you on this three-day journey? Because he wanted no time to delay while he was cleaving the wood on Mount Moriah. He wanted no time to doubt. He wanted no time to discuss, no time to debate, no time to defend, again, while he's cleaving the wood. And then we can imagine how those must have been the longest three days in his life. I mean, he's walking along silently. He's probably not doing much talking. And he's keeping all these thoughts to himself. He's fighting off these doubts all along the way. Am I really sure that God told me to kill the, my son? Am I really sure that God said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called? Am I really sure that God is gonna raise him from the dead? Am I really sure that, am I gonna kiss Isaac before as a parting kiss? Will I kiss him for Sarah? I mean, what, and what am I gonna tell about all this blood that's gonna be all over me? All these thoughts, you know, how am I gonna keep my voice from cracking when I have to speak? And I mean, um, you can imagine what's going on inside of him as he's walking for these three days. And we can imagine Isaac watching Abraham and wondering, what's this whole trip about? What, 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 and lots of questions in Isaac's mind. And we can imagine the servants also just silently following along. But after three days, we're told that Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees the place afar off. How did he know it was the place? We don't know. But he sees it afar off. And when Abraham saw the place, he says to the servants in verse five, Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So what he does is he leaves the servants at the bottom of the hill, far away, at the bottom of the hill. He doesn't want to have the servants there. He doesn't want to have any distractions. He doesn't want to have any questions from the servants. What are you doing? He doesn't want to have any protests from the servants trying to prevent the killing of Isaac. And you know, there's a real, real nice picture here. When we meet with God, we need to leave all our distractions, all our thoughts at the bottom of the hill like he did here, and go up to be with God alone. Every thought that's gonna divert us from God, leave them at the bottom of the hill. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he had just come from the Passover meal, we had all the 12 with him, the 12 apostles. He didn't bring all the 12 with them. He left most of them out, and there was only Peter and James and John that were brought into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he tells, what he tells the servants is really important in verse five. Abraham said unto his young man, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We will go and worship. That's what it is? Yes. Sacrifice is worship. That's why Jason says, that's why if you'd like to worship the Lord with your giving, that's what worship is. Part of worship is sacrifice. And so he says, we're gonna go worship. And then Abraham says to his young men that are there, he says that we will go and worship, and in the Hebrew it's very clear, we will come again to you. So he's absolutely convinced that Isaac is gonna come back alive, alive. So then we're told in verse six that Abraham takes the wood of the burnt offering and he lays it on Isaac, and but Abraham takes the fire and the knife in his own hand, and then it says, they went both of them together. A very important phrase in this passage. They went both of them together. So when we see Abraham putting the wood on Isaac, we see the Lord Jesus Christ 
walking up that road to Calvary, that road to the crucifixion, where it says in, in John 19, 17, John 19, 17, and he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called the Hebrew Golgotha. And then when we see Abraham, he's got the fire in his hand. He's got the knife in his hand, and it shows he's steady. He's steady as he's walking now. He's got the fire and the knife. He's flooded with emotions, but he's also thinking to himself, this is gonna be good. God is going to raise my son from the dead. Now, this is going along, but and we wonder, okay, he's got it together. He's holding it together. Abraham's holding it together. But now comes the question, how can you hold it together now, Abraham, when he hears Isaac say in verse seven, Isaac spake unto his, Abraham his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? My father, he says, my father, that's the word Avi, Avi. He says, Avi, my father, a word that would just melt the heart of Abraham. He is the father of many nations, Abraham, the father of many nations. Now his only son is calling him Avi, my father. And when he said that, when, when Isaac said Avi, my father, to Abraham, that struck in deeper into Abraham's heart than the knife that he was gonna use to kill Isaac. But Abraham's not looking at a shadow. And so, as a matter of fact, when he says that, Abraham, if he was looking at his shadow, he might say something like, Isaac, I mean, he kind of protect himself from being totally lacerated. So he might say something to Isaac, Isaac, please don't call me father anymore. Please don't do that, Isaac. And he might have pushed Isaac away, put a hand in his chest, and just said no. But that's not how Abraham answered Isaac. Abraham did not answer Isaac with, uh, uh, you know, Isaac and, you know, just call me Abraham. And he didn't say Isaac, but he, he, answered, he answered Isaac with a very warm response when he says to him, he, he, here am I, here I am I, my son. He calls Isaac his son. It shows that if Abraham was trying to protect himself from the pain of losing Isaac, if Abraham was trying to guard his heart from being totally torn, from he would have distanced himself from Isaac and he would have said, like I said, don't call me father anymore. But he calls him, but he says, here am I, and he nanny as if he's saying, when he says he nanny, behold, here am I. It's like he's saying to his son, son, I've always been and I always will be there for you. That's the imp implication of the word hinani. I'm here, my son. I'm here. Don't worry. You're the dark. Uh, you call, Father, I can't see. I'm here. I'm here. Hinani, hinani. I'm here. I'm always here for you. And by seeing this, we are not protected from feeling Abraham's great pain by all these details. And then the question comes, where's the lamb? You got the fire. Everything's in place. Where's the lamb? Not the lamb. And so when Isaac asks this, it's such a touching, sweet, innocent curiosity. And Abraham then gives a very calm response. And he says in verse eight, Abraham said, my son, God. Now I just wanna pose and stop there for a moment. My son, God. That said so much just in that word, God. And then he said, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went both of them together. God will provide himself a lamb. That's a statement to Isaac of, I don't know how, I don't know, but God knows. 
So the first word, this first word when Abraham responds to his son, and he says, God, it just brings a peace. And, and it's like saying, it's like when, when, when Abraham says that to Isaac, you can see Abraham just facing God, just facing the light. He doesn't see his shadow. And with, but with his eyes, he really tells Isaac, because Isaac's not a fool. He's saying to Isaac, Isaac, you are the lamb. You are the lamb. But God will provide. What do you mean God will provide? Isaac, you are the lamb. You are going to be killed. But God will provide. Provide what? Provide a resurrection from the dead for you, Isaac. Just look to God. Don't look at your shadow. Just look to God. He is so convincing. Abraham is so convincing that Isaac doesn't protest. No. He doesn't beg for his life. Please, Father, don't do this. He doesn't run away from me. He's about 30 years old. About We think he's about 30 years old, about the age of the Lord, when he started his ministry. Uh, Abraham is uh, like 120 years old. He could have easily outrun the old man. He could have just ran away. He could have flung him off that mountain and said, I'm going. No, 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 no. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't protest. He doesn't beg. He doesn't run away from his life. Because Abraham has essentially taught his son, my son, our part is to obey. God's part is to provide. Very simple. Ours is to obey. God's is to provide. And again, we know what Abraham is thinking here. And Abraham carries the knife, and Isaac carries the wood. And all the while, as they're going along, and as he's responded to Isaac, Abraham is consumed with this, this, this thought, God is going to provide. And it all goes, and, and when we think about that, God providing, and you think about Leviticus 17.11, this is really a verse about God providing. Leviticus 17.11, which says, the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you. I have provided it for you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. See, God, in essence, was saying there, look, you have sinned. You need, oh, you really need blood for an atonement. And you don't have that blood for an atonement. So I'll give you the blood for the atonement. It reminds me of my, my, my Japanese friends, uh, Mitoku, his wife, and Tikendo, the husband. And before they were married in Japan, Tikendo decided to take Mitoko out to a very nice, expensive restaurant in Japan. And some, and I've been to some of these restaurants, some of these very nice restaurants, they don't put prices on the menu. Okay, <laughs> they just think that's too offensive, you know. And so they don't put prices on the menu. And so they had this wonderful dinner together, Nitoko and Tekendo. And then the waiter comes and he presents the bill to Tekendo, and Tekendo turns white. <laughs> he doesn't have the money to pay for this, you know. And so Matoko, she's watching the Tekendo there, and she realizes he doesn't have the money to pay for this. Yeah. And so under the table, Matoko slips him the money. <laughs> to pay the bill. She provided the money to him. That's what God did for us. Like Matoko, God saw our pain. He saw that there's no way that they can pay the price of their sins. And so he provided God himself. He provided God became a man and to die on the cross for our sins. That was the payment. That was the ransom. That was the ransom that was required. 
a ransom was needed to pay for our sins. And rich men, very rich men, they don't have enough to pay for this ransom. And that's what King David said in Psalm 49.6, Psalm 49.6, where he said, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. And so, a ransom was needed, and the good news is, the gospel is, God found a ransom. God found a ransom, as it says in Job 33:24. Job 33:24. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. And the ransom that God found was himself. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave him, 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And the Lord Jesus even spoke of himself when he said in Matthew 20, 28, Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And of course, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.18, it speaks about our redemption for as much as you know, 1 Peter 1.18, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without spot, without blemish, without spot. So Isaac, he believes God is going to provide. And then we have this wonderful word, great word in Hebrew, echad, echad. That word appears twice, but the one we're focused on now is in verse eight, when it says, so they went, both of them together. He says, he says with his eyes, you're the lamb. Then he says, God's gonna provide. And then it says, they went, both of them together. That's the echad. Echad is the composite unity. Echad is the word that appears in the most famous prayer in, the, in Judaism, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the, the Shema, which really is a statement, like going back to this passage, it's a statement of the unity of the triune God, the unity of the triune God. When it says in Deuteronomy 6, 6 4, hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, the Lord, it's really Yehovah, our God, Eloheinu, our Elohim, our plurality. Elohim's a plural word. Our plural God, our gods, our gods. Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Yehovah, Echad, Echad. They are one. They are one. They are one. And then Echad. So they are one. Why do we say that? Because. This passage here, when Isaac understood he was the sacrifice, then he was echad, he was one with Abraham. They went, both of them together. They went echad together. They were together. They were in agreement. When the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give himself, the Father wants the, the, the Lord to give himself a sacrifice. The Spirit is going to assist all along the way, and the Lord Jesus is making the decision to make to become the sacrifice. They are echad. They are echad in this, just like Abraham and Isaac. And that's why that verse in Deuteronomy 6.4 is so vital that it has this word because it goes back to Genesis 22.8. Now in Genesis 22.9, it says they came to the place which God told them of, and now we get more details. Abraham builds an altar, he lays the wood in order, and he binds, he bound Isaac his son and lays him on the altar on the wood. He's building, he's built lots of altars in the past. This was an altar he's never built before to sacrifice his son. He lays the wood in order it's a very important detail. He doesn't just say, 
Ah, throw the wood up. No, no. He carefully is laying the wood in order so that the flame will have the ventilation and it will grow up. And then it says, he bound Isaac, his son. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.